is Multi-New Media. Welcome back here on MultiNewMedia.com. I'm Christopher Woodward. I'm joined by Chase Razabadowski. Hey, uh, how you doing? Gonna, I'm good. How are, you, how are you, Chase? Oh, I'm drinking hot tea. For those, uh, Chase, Chase is having a tough morning as we're recording this. So. Yeah, it's a little bit of a tough morning. But we're going to talk about some, some companies and, and some ideas that went through some tough times because we're going to do part two of our look at technological blunders, flops, mistakes, errors, call them what you will. It's interesting to note as I looked back over part one that we did is really technological flops fall into a few different categories. Sometimes it's just a case of the technology didn't work. It, it did not nearly come close to fulfilling the potential it had. Other times, technology flops are based in marketing. The idea was sound, the technology was good, it just never managed to reach the audience that it should have. Uh, and in some cases, technological flops are all about timing. You have ideas that had they been put in motion a few years later, probably would have caught on. Had the technology been worked on a few years earlier, it probably would have been accepted. So when we go through these technological flops, you should probably keep that in mind. There's different reasons why technologies flop and why products or services or ideas ultimately just don't make the impact. And uh, we have a few more. Both of us are going to go through uh, on our list today. Do you want to kick us off today, Chase, or an item off of your list? Sure, sure. Um, I, I'm going to I'm going to kind of softball this a little bit, though, um, because I want to be able to move into what you were just talking about. And I'm, I'm very curious about what you have in terms of implementation and not connecting with the market. So I'm going to start with one where I think a company not didn't just not connect with a market, but had no reason to move into the space they were trying to move in. And so the service that I'm referring to is iTunes Ping. This was a social network of sorts that was only within the iTunes software. It was about creating friendships and uh, sharing music and getting updates from your favorite artists. And I kind of have to wonder, in the 2010 2010 time space when Apple came out with this idea of iTunes ping, who was it they were going after? In, in this case, Apple wasn't trying to be a market innovator and doing what we know them um, for of coming out with new products and revitalizing. What Apple's strategy really was at the time and, and has been for the past couple of uh, at least decade and a half now is take ideas that weren't implemented correctly the first time re-implement them, repackage them, rebuild them, and come out with these super successful products, right? The idea of MP3 players not working out. Well, here comes the iPod and, and uh, smartphones not really appealing to consumers. And here comes the iPhone. This idea over and over and over. And in 2010, we have the iPad from Apple and also iTunes ping. You, you kind of have to scratch your head and say, okay, so if you're looking at a music social um, media site, who are you targeting at that time? Are you targeting Facebook and Twitter and those types of services of the world? Or are you simply going after MySpace that had pretty much been destroyed but was in the music field? And I think, you know, no matter what the reason is or was, Apple's uh, iTunes ping is just something that good market research should have told them to never do. Agreed. And it's interesting because I'm going to go with one off of my list, which also is a case where... They knew the right trend, but they just didn't connect and, and, and in some ways probably made things a little more complicated than they had to be. I'm going to talk about Color Labs. 
you know, over the last decade, color might be one of the best examples of knowing the right trend, but just not executing properly. And for those that don't remember, color raised over $40 million uh, and was all over the, the tech press for a photo sharing app. And I know what you're all thinking. Hey, <laughs> Instagram, that, that's a huge success, right? Well, color managed to kind of kind of blow it all. It, it was an app for, and it was again, for Android and iPhone. They launched their main app was called Color for Facebook. So again, we're thinking, mm-hmm. all right, wait a minute, where's where's the mistake here? You know, it just it didn't last long. What what were the real issues with it? Um, I think well, one bit of controversy is there were people confused with with the user interface. Some people didn't understand the purpose of it at the time. There was a lot of well, don't you just post photos on Facebook anyway? Or Essentially, they, they threw out, uh, and I got this great quote from uh, one of the founders of it, um, which was, if I can find his name now in front of me, because I don't know if it was Fam or, I think it was Peter Fam, who, who said, we threw out a network you don't know how to get good at. And they said, we threw a mountain at people. And I think that was the issue. People didn't pick up on it quickly. It wasn't something that you could just immediately touch and go, okay, I know how to use this, at least in a basic format now. And it just, it bombed really fast. Um, you know, at some points it was talking about being acquired by another company. But this was a case where, where the idea made sense, technology made sense, they knew the market, they were on the right platforms, they were hooked up with the right companies. It was just a case where when people opened it up, they didn't know what to do with it or how to do things with it. And they disregarded it super fast and it was out the door. You know, this is something interesting for me to to be able to look at. And um, the reason is there's something fun that I get to say that I, I don't often get to say. I never uh, heard of this company and this attempt. And it is so fascinating. I've been pulling up some information while you're talking about it. And I just I can't believe I completely overlooked this. It, it was gone in the blink of an eye. Yeah. That's how quick it, like if you took a vacation, chances are you missed it. Wow. Yeah, no, this looks like a really bad idea of simply photo sharing and um and viewing other people's photos. I mean, it, it, let's talk about uh what what year was this? 2010, 2011, 2012 it, it somewhere there? It should have worked. I can imagine somebody sitting there going, "It should have worked." Well, but the thing is, there were so many of those already by that time frame or within that time frame. And some major players that, sure, you can go get all the VC backing in the world. What we're, we're talking about, you know, .com 2.0 at that point. We're talking about the the app influx or the uh, the money uh, influx because of applications. And most of these things just didn't pan out because why would you need a service like this when you already have Facebook? I mean, I, I think them naming the product Color for Facebook indicates part of the problem that they had um, from the beginning with, with ideation and that is, well, if it's this service for Facebook and we're using the Facebook platform to launch it, what's to stop Facebook from simply integrating a service like this rather e- easily? And, uh, you know, I think that's kind of where we're at as, as geolocation and location services wrapped in. I almost wonder, uh, and I'd have to do some research on it because, again, I'm, I'm completely um, not knowledgeable of this situation, but I almost wonder if they started this company in order to be acquired in the future, that's what it would. That's the feeling I get upon first hearing about this. 
Well, some have actually wondered that more more than once has that been bought up because the whole idea that um, you know they did all this, they raised this money, you know, brought in venture capital, you know, in in 2010, and then in 2011 they were looking to try to sell, you know, um, pretty quick. And it's interesting because uh, right before they officially launched, Google actually tried to purchase it. Google put an offer out there in 2011. For uh, you know, like two hundred million dollars or something like that before the launch, uh, but Color turned it down, and then <laughs> interesting, everything went out the window, and yeah, that was the end of it. But um, but yeah, no, it didn't last long, and yeah, it's one of those kind of forgotten things. And of course, everybody thinks about photo sharing apps and all the successes they have now, but. Well, color, you know, not one of them. Well, color. Um, I'm looking at the time frames. It's right about the time that Google was launching Plus and had all that interest in, um, in social media. And let's see. Um, yeah, right around that time frame. So it was same year, 2011. I think Google um, was probably much more focused on those types of properties at that time. But hey, that could have been a blunder of its own. We've had Google Plus on this list in the previous episode, and now Color Labs. Uh, really could have been a uh, um, you know a synergistic effect there. Could have, would have, but ultimately did not. And thank, thankfully we didn't say should have because definitely should not have. Um, I, I'm going to keep in the line with companies that um, have made some blunders, not necessarily, um, well, I guess Collar was in the case of a product, but that one product was their existence. So let's look at a bigger company that had um you know somewhat um, somewhat of a diversified portfolio even though it wasn't as diversified as it should have been we see that at uh, 2020 in hindsight kodak kodak declared bankruptcy oh am i stealing one from you no just just that's one i didn't even think of but wow what a fall from grace uh, you know absolutely and the more i look into this i would really love to start picking up some of the books that are out there about this topic, reading some of the case studies. And I almost want to make this uh, example of Kodak a part of my business acumen, a part of my teaching, and a part of my just sort of of public service of business, of knowing this um, in and out. I don't know the whole situation in and out, but what I do know is damning enough. And so I know that Kodak essentially invented the digital camera back in the 70s. I know they sat on it uh, for several different reasons. One, they were probably right that the market's just not ready and the technology wasn't there, but also because it threatened some of their own lines of revenue. And we see this time and time again. And typically companies, if they don't make that aggressive step and almost cannibalize some of their own business and remake themselves completely, we see that the market forces them to do this. And that's what happened. Now, by the 90s or 2000s, somewhere in there, I know that Kodak was doing fairly well with digital cameras. So it's not necessarily what most people attribute the Kodak failure to of saying, oh, well, they set on the digital camera technology for so long. My big problem with the situation uh, uh, in Kodak that ended in bankruptcy in 2012 was the fact that they were doing well in the market, that they had sort of made a comeback, that they were innovating products. I know sales weren't great. I know that the the um, you know the products for for. Uh, digital cameras and for printer equipment, which was where uh, Kodak was focusing next after kind of losing some of that uh, early going market share in digital cameras. I I think the whole thing culminates in bad management decision after bad management decision after bad. But, you know, you take a look more specifically. What pulls me to this 
the 2012 timeframe, when they're looking at inkjet printers for digital photography. I mean, by that point, by 2010, 2011, 2012, when you're in product development for this, how do you not see that applications like Color are getting a lot of venture capital money? How do you not see that Facebook and Twitter are moving more into images and now, you know, four years later into video? How do you not see these things happening? And once your digital camera strategy, which you had successfully revived, fails, move into printers. I mean, that just it boggles my mind. Yeah, I think a lot of, of what happened with Kodak is almost a, a classic case of, you know, the ivory tower that they lived in. They were not paying attention to the market. They were not paying attention to what other companies were doing. Uh, I think they were looking at trends to a degree, but I don't think they were looking at what other companies were doing. And I think there was, you know, you talk about bad management decisions. I think part of it is an arrogance. It, it's a oh, absolutely, Kodak. absolutely. Know, people arrogance. will always come to us, and uh, people stopped coming to them. You know, when it was arrogance, um, because the the one company that I know that Kodak was focused on in the time isn't Sony or Canon or any of these other digital camera companies we can talk about. It was Fujifilm. Kodak was so focused on Fujifilm for such a long time with this. Uh, and I mean, this one, you don't even have to pull a case study. You can read this on the Kodak profile on Wikipedia. You can pull up, you know, dozens of, well, here I go back to the case studies. You can pull up dozens of academic sources on this. Kodak was so focused on Fujifilm having this 1960s mentality in the 1990s thinking, you know, Americans aren't going to really buy their film from this Japanese company. You know, they had that mentality from the 80s to the 90s. They had gotten over it and realized the reality, hopefully, I think, by the 2000s. But you have to ask yourself, was some of that naivety still there? Because Fujifilm hit what? I, I don't know, a quarter of the U.S. film market? Kodak still had the lion's share. Just, you're right, ignorance all around. Ignorance is not always bliss. Sometimes it's a disaster. Uh, so next up on my list, I'm going to go with, with a timing issue. I'm going to go on where it wasn't necessarily a bad idea. It was just the timing of it was off. Uh, and it, it launched in uh, 2007. And by 2010, it was pretty much done. Uh, I'm going to talk about the netbook. So, <laughs> I was just using one yesterday from 2010. In 2007, this was, you know, the, the, the future is now. Mm -hmm. You know, the idea was that it was a laptop, but it was very simple to use. It was very cheap and it was very small. You know, people, are, again, you have to remember, think about the time period here, 2007. You know, Wi-Fi and internet connections are, were easier to come by at this point. Some people like some mobility ideas with this. This idea was that it was a mini laptop for the most part. It would get very cheap, very simple, which the idea was it would be very consumer friendly. People who were still somewhat shy of buying, you know, computers and whatnot, the expense. Oh, it's just it's a cheaper version. It's it's the perfect computer for old people. You know, it's a perfect computer for this, for that. Um, however, timing is everything. Had this come out probably five years earlier. There would have been a ton of netbook success, but what happened was it came out, and pretty soon after it came out, the price for most standard laptops dropped, and in 2010, the tablet pretty much showed up, gained popularity, 
Um, so instead of, you know, the advantage, okay, well, it's cheap. Well, guess what? A standard laptop is cheap now. Uh, well, hey, it's portable. Well, the tablet is more portable and easier to use. And then, of course, phones and whatnot. So the netbook was just, it was a concept, an idea that had it come out a few years earlier, it probably would have done really well for a while. Unfortunately, its window was about you know two and a half years and really never got that foothold because, again, I guess you could say it's a case of technology moving too fast for the product mm -hmm. in some ways. I think you're right there because I, I'm like you. I want to say that if the product were out five years earlier that it would have done spectacularly, but one of the other problems with netbooks was even at the time 2007 especially when they first came out they were a linux product because you couldn't put full-blown windows on there and expect it to run well so in trying to make the product so small we're talking about 10.6 inch screens a lot of time in trying to make a product so small at that time the quality of the hardware inside was absolutely horrible you know i remember the the one i was talking about i i, I booted one up the other day um, from 2010. I mean, the thing struggled to run what was called a starter edition of Windows 7. It struggled to run even some of the tiny Linux distributions that I had put on it uh, over the past couple of years, just trying to get some usage out of it. The thing was pretty much a dud straight out of the door for, for a couple of reasons. One, you did have to use a very light distribution of Linux, which most people in the market that you're targeting um, didn't know how to use Linux. So if you're saying it's the great computer for older people, for students, for kids. All of these demographics aren't very familiar with how Linux worked. And, and the further back you go in time, at least from a consumer perspective, the, least, the less friendly Linux is. You know, Ubuntu and others like that have really made strides to make Linux usable and friendly and adoptable. That really wasn't um, as much in existence. So, I mean, we have to blame it on hardware, too, like the Intel Atom line of, of processors just miserable and, and couldn't even run some of the most basic operating systems. Um, it just, again, one of those ideas, but I'm glad to know that you're still using one. It makes me feel good. I have this device because it is one of my lowest ROI devices. Um, I, I picked the thing up. They couldn't have cost more than four or $500 at the time, but I'm interested in getting the most possible either fiscal return on a device once I purchase it or utility. I'll accept utility. In fact, utility is more important to me in devices sometimes than the fiscal return. I got virtually no utility out of, of the device, got absolutely no fiscal return. It couldn't do any work on it because of the processing speed. And the number of times that I've picked this thing up just to remind myself how bad it was or to say, oh my God, this is a perfect form factor for just doing quick updates on the web or for or for you know managing content on the web because I'm thinking the B2B space or the, or or at least the the publishing aspect on, uh, of the B2C side of things I wanted that package to work and I still like a form factor like that but you know it breaks my heart breaks your heart but you haven't given up totally I think that's awesome. oh no I've given up I just haven't taken it uh, taken it to the recycling facility to be honest so um, I was just making sure it still worked before I did that I, I I'm gonna stick with hardware for a moment I want to talk about the Facebook phone. You know, Facebook, I, I get it, more power to them trying to more deeply uh, entrench themselves in consumer product choices. For being a social media service, they've really made major inroads into things like artificial intelligence um, it, for, for a while into Android. But a Facebook phone coming from a time 
when Facebook was starting to show signs of decreasing popularity, of decreasing brand appeal, when we're talking about younger people leaving Facebook and Facebook having to later acquire companies like Instagram because of the exodus of younger folks wanting to evade their parents and grandparents on Facebook, the time to come out with a phone is not then. It was my phone going off right now. <laughs> Although I want to point out my phone was not in HTC first. Okay, I just want to make that clear. That's exactly. Now, I say, okay, here's the thing though. HTC, I mean, we're talking years before working with Facebook. HTC had, Matt, that's another one we could put on here of just a complete failure. But yeah, I don't know. This idea of a complete branded Facebook experience. I think Mark Zuckerberg was just trying to pull this straight out of the 1990s. Some of the visions we had for how technology would evolve under corporate control. And come on, he, he just had to let that one go. You know, I, I think it's it's not the only time you, you get this. Remember the ESPN phone? I think we may have discussed that on, on, a, on a past show. No, did ESPN yeah. do this? ESPN built a handset. Oh, God, why? Because um, their whole idea was that, well, you know, we're going to do this app, so let's do a handset with it. And Their apps have never worked. Um, oh, well, God, that's, that's genius. That's the, funny, the, the funny thing about it is the app, I mean, granted, because of the name, they've always managed to grab a good amount of market share with right. the app. But they learned pretty quickly they were not good uh, handset sellers. Yeah. Well, I mean, think about ESPN for a moment. I, I, ESPN when it was independent and the ESPN under Disney. How many people, though, who utilize ESPN as a, as a daily or weekly lifestyle brand would abandon it the first possible chance they get if it weren't for the back-end contracts essentially creating a monopoly? I, I, I raised my hand to that one. I would abandon ESPN because of their poor technological performance. Um, so, yeah, wow, you're, you're, you're really educating me. I didn't know they made a handset. Yeah, they did, and, and I, I saw one once. It, it was uh, as ridiculous as you would imagine, a giant ESPN logo across the case and everything. Wow. Because you can't buy a phone case for your iPhone or your oh, Android well, device. No, oh. but back then it was flip <laughs> phones, so, you know, who knew? Oh, who wait. Knew? Oh, okay, so I'm thinking this is more recent. What what year was this? This was 90s. Oh, oh wow. This was like late 90s when, like, they were first introducing the app. You know, this was very, very early, early on. So Wow, so this was a complete... Uh, why? I'm trying to look up the year here and see when. I don't know. I'm I'm definitely gonna have to do some research. Wow, you're giving me some great stuff to do some research on and and pull some case studies from. That is, why? Why would you even do that? Oh. So uh, should should we just okay? So I picked Facebook phone and you picked ESPN's phone. Well, actually, no. That was just me adding to your. Oh, that was just you adding. Great. I don't um, even have that on my list. Okay, but. so it, it, with my Facebook phone selection, should we just add all of these attempts to come out with a customized branded phone? Think yeah, pretty much. I think we can. <laughs> any type of idea where you think you're going to break the the cell phone industry's record of having negative profits for the, for the most part, except for about two companies. If you think you're going to come in because of your lifestyle brand or your social media brand or your whatever brand and make one product so successful, then you're living in a delusion where you completely misunderstand what makes the iPhone, because let's be honest, that's who they're targeting here, they completely misunderstand what makes the iPhone so successful in the first place. Yeah, I think we could, we could blanket that over a lot. Uh, the next item uh, on my list, 
And you knew it was going to come up at some point, so I'm going to just put it out there now. Let's talk about Google Glass. <laughs> let's do. Let, let's, I mean, you know, the glasses would, would, would be able to, you know, transform your eyesight. You could watch movies. You could browse without a screen in front of you while you're walking down the street. A science fiction idea. Unfortunately, what it ended up doing was made a lot of people feel sick. Uh, it was very awkward to use between the voice commands, the hand gestures. Uh, and as one reviewer put it, it just looked damn stupid to wear. Um, and Google, when, when they announced they were pulling back on it, uh, I loved their verbiage here. That they were closing the Explorer program and graduating Google Glass from Google Labs. Right. In, that... in other words, we're not selling this to the public anymore because the product really didn't work out and it flopped. Re yeah, really great phrasing. Saying. You know, I mean, you have to question any product that gets a term like glass hole associated with it. <laughs> I mean, come on, that was a thing. You. I mean, people were wearing these things in gyms and whatnot. Come on with that. You know, someday, you know, maybe, but, but again, again, it just, it looked so, and I remember the commercials. You remember the commercials that they started coming out with and then the product demos? Right. Where, you know, guys sitting in the yeah. park and like yelling things and scroll, scroll, scroll. I mean, <laughs> just making him look ridiculous. It, exactly. It's one of those things where if you wanted to make a nerd look even nerdier, Here's Google Glass to make you look even dirtier. Well, I mean, I think both of us, I, I can probably speak for you here as well. Or, so I'll say neither of us doubt that this is going to be a thing. What I think we doubt is Google's approach, their design to it, the limited battery life that they, they put in, not, not, you know, just thinking that wouldn't be a problem for early adopters because they're early adopters. I, I just think that the implementation of it was not very solid and you have a product that it's great yes it's probably I don't know if I want to say it's before it's time or after it's time because again science fiction has predicted these things for decades uh, if not longer but I don't know if the use case is there and that's where Google blundered this is a th that classic idea of do we want to give the customer what they want or do we want to show the customer what they need we don't need this you know, we, we can still pull out a camera and take a picture and get a higher quality picture than with a, you know, mounted little screen prism like thing uh, on a wire frame. Better camera on your cell phone, better battery life on your cell phone. For right now, there's just absolutely no reason to go to a smaller footprint when it's um, it's an accessory item. Agreed. So what's next up on your list? How do we bash the Google Glass? <laughs> um. <clears throat> You remember in the last episode I talked about something being ahead of its time, and that concept has come up several times in this episode as well. I don't know if this is such a blunder as as much as a wonderful idea that didn't just pan out. And it came to market. Uh, this is a, a video game console that was released, had horrible uh, adoption numbers, and there are so many different reasons why, so I'm just going to say what it is and see where it goes. The Sega Saturn. The Saturn? I had a Saturn. What did you think of the Saturn? How did you like the Saturn? Here's the thing. I purchased the Saturn for one reason and one reason only, because there was an import Japanese uh, pro wrestling game, all Japan pro wrestling. Oh, okay. Uh, 
and I solely purchased the Sega Saturn for that, and I got a couple other games, but I can tell you without question, the only game I ever really played on it was that wrestling game, and other than that, I never even used a thing, and I sold it many years later to a collector. This was a device that really tried to bring internet connections to the mainstream for gaming. Had a modem. Uh, I don't remember if it was built in or if you had to buy it separately. But this social communication, this this networking of gamers was really prevalent in the Sega Saturn as well as a couple of other technological advances. And if you if you dig into the gaming world, there are so many people that view the Sega Saturn as the predecessor to what Microsoft eventually did with the Xbox. That the Sega Saturn is essentially um, Microsoft Technologies at work in partnership with Sega developing this console that once Sega failed, um, once they moved on to other projects, once the market was right, once Sony had come into the market and shown that it was possible for a hardware manufacturer um, to to really break into the video gaming console, Microsoft kind of scratched their heads and said, well, if a hardware manufacturer can do it, why not a software uh, developer? So um, viewed as, as a precursor to the Xbox, but I think that the Sega Saturn, because I didn't own one, but I had a, I had a close friend at the time who did and used the device quite, quite frequently. I think it was great on paper. Um, I think the marketing implementation of it was blundered. I think some of the, um, the lack of support for uh, major titles was blundered. But I don't know what to make of this. I don't know if it's too much too soon, like I was talking about web TV in the last episode. I don't know if it's just market confusion. I don't know if it was bad promotions. I don't know if it was bad negotiating behind the scenes. But something about the Sega Saturn just turned it into a flop or the perfect storm of all of those things. Yeah, I think it was that perfect storm of a flop. And, and again, I enjoyed the system, but it just it never totally captured an audience, I think. Uh, next up on my list, and this is a more broad one, uh, or should I do, hmm, I'm going to flip a coin. Which one should I do next here? I don't have mine in order, obviously. Uh, yeah, you know what? I'm going to just go with it. It, it, it. It's so broad, but 3D TVs. Uh, and this one, blame the TV manufacturers. You know, they, they promoted 3D TV within an inch of its life, 3D DVD players. There was this whole push of 3D, 3D ESPN. They, we're bringing them up again here. They, had, they launched a 3D channel. Mm-hmm. Um there's so many issues here. I think the biggest issues, one, there was not one, there was not enough 3D content. Uh, two, the actual physical use of the TV. You had to wear these glasses. And the TV was expensive. The glasses were expensive. Most TVs only came with one pair or two pairs, and you had to buy additional pairs. And I think they ignored a big part of, of television viewing, which is the social aspect of it. Uh, you know, yes, there's many people that watch TV alone. However, there are many people that watch TVs with their families. Now, if you have a family of four, you now need four pairs of 3D glasses, and you need to stand directly in front of the TV. Don't stand off on an angle, because if you do that, the, it doesn't look right. Uh, just so many mistakes, I think. And, and, and I, do I think 3D technology is, is in the future? Yes. Do I think hologram technology for entertainment is in the future? Yes. But just this specific period of 3D television, wave of the future, everybody go buy one, 
Now there's a lot of people that were wishing they had it that instead wish they had, you know, a, a 4 HD TV or what have you. But uh, just the whole 3D TV push of a few years back uh, was a flop. This makes me deal with some internal uh, struggle <laughs> that I don't want to deal with. I love 3D television. I have a 3D TV. Um, but I don't disagree at all with your assessment that it's a flop. We all know. We can look at the numbers. I don't think there's any major uh, television manufacturer still including 3D um, in, in their base or flagship models. Most companies aren't including it at all. And one of the questions, because I agree with your assessment, not just because I love it, but I, I think it's one of those things that's fairly obvious. Yes, advanced viewing technology is in the future and depth viewing is one of those things what made this such a failure and you listed so many of the reasons and I think the biggest one I want to pick the biggest one for you is when you talk about the social element I think people are okay with wearing the glasses I think it's a technology that the the companies who manufactured the the televisions it's the the 3d technology that they used was active 3d not passive this means when you get those glasses, right? you can't just use a pair like you use at the theater. You have to have batteries inside of them or they have to be charged. And then you have to turn them on and calibrate them and connect them just like you would a Bluetooth phone to a speaker. So you have to make sure the device and the Bluetooth glass, uh, not Bluetooth, the 3D glasses are seeing each other and receiving and it turns the image on and off. Sometimes these glasses would just turn off halfway through a movie mainly because your battery died. It was a little button cell battery. And I just, I really think that even in its current form, 3D television could still be a feature on TVs. It wouldn't be super successful. Most people don't like it. It's a niche market of people like me who really just love, you know, I even use that feature to take the TV where the TV would do real-time processing and turn a 2D movie into a 3D. I used to love doing that. But if I ask myself how long has it been, since I've watched something in 3D on that television, I'd have to admit over a year. And it's because of those awful glasses. It, it was more of something you would experiment with and something that would become your regular entertainment option. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll wear glasses to watch 3D TV. I, I understand that's where the technology is. Uh, they were starting to move towards glasses-free, even with multi-angle. And the, the television that I bought was a late model with 3D, and the viewing angle is amazing. Right? I don't even have that problem where I have to sit at a certain spot right in front of the TV. Um, you know, it's not as great as the overall viewing angle, but it's it's pretty darn good. But moving towards multi-person glasses-free TV, where the screen is is calculating in real time what it needs to to uh, uh, show. I, yeah, it's just, it's not the right time. The glasses need to be passive, not active, if there even need to be glasses at all. But I would love to see a future, or even before holography, where we can get some really good quality 3D televisions, because that depth, you know, I know so many people hate it, and they talk about motion sickness, which, except for a very small portion of people, I think is a bunch of hokum. I think it's them talking themselves into it. Um, I, I love it. I don't know why. I don't know why you love it, but you do. But I do. It's just, it's more real. All right. So what's what's next? So we're going to wrap it up soon here, but we're, we're going to get another one in off of uh, your list. So what do you have for us? Okay. So I only have one left, but 
I, I, I did not want to take your thunder so for, before because it was so great. Um, the last one on my list was Google Glass. So I thought what I would do to wrap up my portion of this series as we move back into yours is I have a list in front of me of all the things that almost made it but didn't. That would be great because I have the same. So let's do that to, to end us on your list of, of the honorable mentions. Uh, the honorable mentions, so to speak. So the strong contenders are the Microsoft Zune, which I didn't want to put because this is the only one I'm going to describe. I didn't want to put it there because I do think the product was ultimately somewhat successful. Don't laugh at me when I say that. People who, who uh, are, are Zune fans know why. I never bought one, but I understand that it was somewhat successful. So the Microsoft Zune, ActiveX, and the Kin, also from Microsoft. For Apple, we have Apple Maps, which needed to be on here. Um, but I, we've mentioned almost everything else, like the Lisa, the Pippin, the Cube. Um, from Google, we talked about those on the last episode. But here's, here's the things that really just didn't cut muster to show up. Healthcare.gov, HTC's market share decline, the Amazon Fire Phone, the AOL Time Warner merger, Carly Fiorina, just in general, her, uh, BlackBerry's demise, um, push to talk technology, um, wearable computers, specifically from the 90s when they were backpacks, palm top computers from the late 90s and early 2000s, um, and let's see, oh, my last one, Video games that require persistent internet connections. That whole rollout, it's its a thing of the future, I know. But that whole rollout was botched by so many different game studios over so many different years that it definitely deserved an honorable mention from me. That's a great list. And, and it's funny, Apple Maps was something I was thinking of putting on my list and I didn't. Uh, I did have two matches with you. Uh, the Zune and Microsoft Kin were both on my list. As they uh, should be. Gizmondo is on my list uh the worst selling handheld console in history wow uh which and you want to talk about a disaster look up gizmondo sometimes uh between organized crime some really bizarre marketing moves just fascinating disaster it looks like the sega handhold handheld from the uh 90s it did it it looked very similar but it wasn't nearly any good (laughs) um uh, i had amazon fire phone in there um, which had bad battery life, so many bad things to that one. And really, the Amazon Fire Phone was, was a thinly veiled, hey, go along with the branded phone idea. Right. It's a phone that you can buy stuff from Amazon on. Well, they have a defense. I'm going to pause you there because Amazon, the reason I didn't bump them up, and I'm, I'm wondering if you did this same thing, this is why I'm pausing you, is I didn't move Amazon up into the, the main list because they at least had a reason. The Fire tablets are amazingly successful. And I think they really thought they could translate that into the phone space and provide unique value. I don't know if they were just doing a hey, us too. I think they really did have a value proposition that they thought might work. Uh, Should they have probably known it wouldn't? Yes. But honestly, behind the scenes, they probably did know that there was a high risk of failure. Yeah, I didn't put them on my main list because really I think a big issue was the price tag. Mm-hmm. They, they priced themselves way higher than iPhones and Androids, and I think that hurt them right out the gate. But you got Google, or Google, you got uh, uh, Amazon Prime pretty much free for a year, didn't you? Yeah, that was the, the selling point. But still, when you see that list price, you go, right. uh, not so much. Exactly. Um, the other two things, one kills me because I really love this technology, and some people are still using it, and, and there's still a key to this, but, but QR codes 
Hmm, um, yeah. You still see them, uh, but you rarely see people actually scanning them. Occasionally, uh, see you, you'll see snap codes for Snapchat. Um, yeah. You know, and, and I think part of it is you know, augmented reality, too, is, is a, the technology, I think, of the future with those kind of things. But you know, there was this brief moment in time where, man, I thought QR codes were really going to take off huge, and they didn't. Um, but they were on my list. And the last one on my list, um, this one, it's less of a flop. It's more of a constant source of frustration. And that's Mobile Me. Mobile Me from, you know, uh, their calendar syncing was horrible. Things would disappear. You would enter things in Mobile Me and, and they would just lose data. And it was This nothing. was the Apple thing, right? Yeah, it was I would say it's one of Apple's biggest failures of the last, you know, twenty five years. Mm-hmm. Um, now obviously people think about iCloud now and whatnot, but just mobile me was one of those things that I don't know you know where all of the issues came from, but just it was inconsistent. And again, you would literally put you would lose data and there was, there was no explanation why. And that could be obviously very frustrating. You put contact information in and then it would it would be there and then it wouldn't be there. And, so mobile me, uh, just again, it, I can't say it was a total flop because it was around for a while, but just totally frustrating, and I'm kind of glad it's not around. Anymore. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons they did the rebranding to iCloud, and I remember some of those issues are still present at the beginning of iCloud, and and um, I, I you know I skipped over it here. I do have a note. I I was going for iCloud, but I re- I remember mobile me now, and wow, you are so right. That we we need to make a. Uh, uh, you know, an overall top five, and that one should go right up there. That was a blunder. So there you go. So that's going to wrap us up for part two of uh, tech blunders and flops. I'm sure many of you have your own. Please feel free to let us know. And if there's anyone in particular that you think we should be devoting maybe a whole episode to, uh, let us know, and maybe we'll do that. We'll dissect some of these blunders in the future, what they could have done maybe to save it. So for Chase Razabadowski, I'm Christopher Woodward. Thank you guys for listening. Ladies and gentlemen, until next time, take care.